Acast anbefaler. Mit navn er Anders Morgenthaler. Over for mig sidder Roald Bergmann. Vi har lavet en ny podcast, der hedder Dopaminklubben. Og Dopaminklubben er en klub, hvor ADHD er fucking sjovt, og hvor det griner. Det behøver ikke at være super alvorligt. Vi skider skide af alle de der podcasts og forklarer meget nederen der. Vi gør grin med vores ADHD. Mulig ADHD. Ja, vi udreder mig, fordi nogen siger, at jeg har det. Jeg ved det ikke rigtigt, det finder vi ud af. Vi har i hvert fald lavet vedmål. Ind og lytte til Dopaminklubben. Hver uge udkommer vi. Der laver vi sjov spas med at have den her vidunderlige dopaminmangel. Hello, welcome back to the game. I'm Hugh Wisencroft alongside Tom Clark, Tom Roddy, and Ian Hawkey, who joins us from Spain. Gentlemen, how are you? Not too Morning. bad. Not good, too good. Bad. Where's the breakfast biscuits? Last few shows, we've been in the studio together, and Hugh's either had some cakes, some biscuits, nothing to offer me today. I got What's mugged going on? off by you last time when I brought <laughs> cupcakes in. You said I hate cupcakes. Well, I don't. Well, you want more? You want, you want me to put myself yeah, through that again? I that thought you'd come again. Pain. I thought you'd come again. That's what <laughs> top-level athletes do, Hugh. They come again. They respond to criticism and they bounce back. I responded like a top-level athlete by going home and eating all of those cupcakes myself. Fair enough. So thank you very there, much. There's a theme here, though, that he has never brought anything in when I'm on the show. Oh, ever. Sorry, Tom. Yeah. Sorry, I don't know. That's a coincidence. It's a tough start for you, Hugh. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> no, I'm a very generous person. <laughs> Just not to Tom Roddy. I mean, it's one of those things. Uh, listen, let's talk about how generous the Leicester defending was at the end of that game last night. 94 minutes, 52 on the clock. Spurs beating Leicester despite trailing after 94 minutes and 52 seconds. That beats Manchester City's 3-2 win over QPR. We all know about that one in May of 2012. The latest a team has been losing but gone on to win a Premier League match. Spurs also had the sixth highest expected goals for an away side recorded in Premier League history. They had 27 shots in the game. Let's talk about Spurs first rather than that Leicester defending. Are they becoming a force now? Nine unbeaten in the Premier League under manager Antonio Conte. Tom Roddy, what do you think? Right. Well, I think the last time I was on the show, Hugh, I, I was uh, saying that they were the team who could nick fourth. And for 94 minutes last night, I was thinking, what on earth was I on? <laughs> what on earth was I on about? And then Stevie B comes on. Stevie and, uh, B, love it. And, uh, and, and proves me right. Um, there's something about there's something about Tottenham. There's something about Conte. I mean, the the the, the first team they've got, the, the first choice eleven, can uh, c- can compete against any team in the league. I think, which is which is why I think that they can nick that fourth place. But for me, the the story is not is not really Tottenham. It's Leicester. It was just horrendous, horrendous game management, and it it kind of summed up those two teams to me because I, I think over the years there's been an element of sort of they they play in chaos in a way um the, and that summed it up the last few minutes and and my mind went back to uh, it feels like it was a few weeks ago but um the Pep Guardiola comment 
uh, the other day where he said you need after you take the lead you need to make 100,000 million passes which um is a new number i think but <laughs> but, but the the whole point it was really interesting because the whole point of what he was saying is that you you it's control isn't it you control the game and you kill any optimism from your opposition but that and and Leicester didn't do that at all. Even well before the ninety fourth minute, I thought as they entered into into added time, there was there was one attack. I think it was James Madison and Harvey Barnes, where instead of going not even to the corner flag, you don't expect that. But instead of playing safe, they played a bit of a risky pass and lost possession. And it just offers it offers Tottenham hope instead of killing any of that. And look where they ended up with it. Tom, was this more about uh, Leicester's deficiencies than a, a positive Spurs display? I think a little bit. Tom touched on hope there, and I think that's what Conte has given Tottenham. And so when you combine added confidence, belief that Conte gives Tottenham with a team like Leicester, who, as Tom says, are chaos, not control, you've always got this chance of a late turnaround. Not that I'm saying I was predicting it at all, but the thing I was thinking when I was watching the game was thinking about the game podcast all the time, as I do, <laughs> was watching those goal line clearances by Leicester in the first half, I think, and thinking maybe we could do a great, really fun segment on the best goal line clearances because they had two. Yeah, yeah. Thomas and I think all Brighton that were both, I mean, they're absolutely Fantastic. clinging on and brilliant. But as you say, the expected goals for you for Tottenham were through the roof. And so you just knew that it, it was coming. And I think I've talked a lot about Kasper Schmeichel embodying this Leicester team this season and the inconsistencies great game against um, Liverpool when they got that win of, at home of course and you saw his reaction when that equaliser went in he didn't lie on the floor he jumped straight up to try and get the ball to try and stop Tottenham and Harry Kane from grabbing the ball and running to the centre circle because he knew he knew they were susceptible to another goal um, and I think that was quite telling as well so I think it was the perfect storm really for Leicester and makes a great game for the neutral of course Ian I want to talk about Antonio I know it, I know we've been negative about Leicester but I do think nine games unbeaten under Antonio Conte they do deserve some credit um, Tottenham Hotspur I, I, the, the Spurs fans are desperately disappointed with the January transfer window so far Ian and this idea that if you don't back Antonio Conte he will walk Um I think this is Tottenham's best chance to get into the top four under Conte. It could be, anyway. Um, if he stays for a couple of seasons after this, I don't know what sort of players they buy, but you just can't imagine that Manchester United, under a new manager, with you know the huge amount of money that they always seem to spend on players, won't be back. Do they need to back him, and what could it mean if they don't? Uh, yeah, yeah, they do need to back him, but not necessarily in the next couple of weeks. This could be the moment when when Stevie B feels like a new transfer, couldn't it? You know, that's uh, first two goals this season. Is that correct? And you know, he has he, he's made them unspursy, hasn't he? Last night was the the definition of of unspursy. He is already giving himself a good negotiating position, isn't he? For but for big transfers in the summer and of course you know the, the important thing of, of of keeping the players that are important to spurs which is which is an equally important issue and will be for 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 conte when he goes head to head with with the chairman what do you think tom Antonio Conte need backing in January? Maybe even psychologically he needs backing in January just to feel that they have I mean we we know 
exactly how demanding he is. At, at Chelsea, he wanted Romelu Lukaku and he got Alvaro Morata, who was the third on the list. And he wasn't, you know, he wasn't happy with it at all. Same with Virgil van Dijk. He didn't get him. And I don't think we ever see, uh, we will ever see a properly diplomatic Conte either. I think they, they missed, they, they, they've, struggled through this period with fitness and it's a really it is a it's a club that has an excellent first team and but a squad with very little depth um and a squad which is there's still players who can be at their peak but n- but not really with Tottenham anymore I mean you look at the bench in recent weeks and the the biggest option has been sort of Deli Alley coming in but Ian makes a really really good point about Steven Bergwijn because I remember the first game of the season the Man City win and that was when Harry Kane wasn't playing because he was still away with the 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 transfer situation and it was Bergwijn Mora and um, Son up front and they almost played with that sort of fluidity you see of of um, Liverpool with the front three so it's a really good point he he can he, he can provide that he can he can provide an option um, that they haven't had so far on to Leicester then in a little bit more detail because three wins in 10 Premier League games for them incredibly bad defending in this match I mean incredibly bad defending in particular that final goal for me I mean who on earth says I'm going to back off Harry Kane and allow him to turn in that situation who's a centre-back Yannick Vestergaard what on earth are you doing Kasper Schmeichel where are you it was one of those you know when a ball is played out of camera shot and you just think the keeper's going to be there he's going to be there where is he where is he what's happening and it's in the back of the net but the, the defending all game through, I know they've been massively impacted by injuries. But, you know, you've got your lot and they've had a load of games to work on it now. You know, they've known that the, the players are out. They're defending this season has not improved. They are a mid-table side because of it this year. They scored the, the, the goals and maybe the goals for me, when I watched them, they almost underlined why I don't think Tottenham are a great side. Because those goals, even though they were quite fortunate finishes, you know, they got played through Tottenham with, two players for both of the goals it was just like one two one two one two goal it wasn't you know there was no big team play it was too easy but then you saw the goals that Leicester conceded and it was like the parting of the Red Sea it was just so bad and I wonder how much criticism Brendan Rodgers deserves Tom for not getting on top of their defensive performances having defended him quite a lot so far this season I think it's starting to get to the point where he should take some criticism now because as you say you can only go so far with saying Fafana's out, we've got loads of injuries. And yes, Vestergaard and the like aren't of the same quality, but you know, and he has shown it. He showed it in a few games when they have got positive results that he can adapt the formation, he can tweak the system. Manchester City away when they were getting hammered, conceded all those goals in the first half in the opening spell, tweaked it. But it's strange then, as you say, to not see these moments and the chaos continues to reign, as Tom says. I wonder whether it's, for the players, it's slightly psychological of knowing that you're the backup and then getting in a bad run and the combination of those two things psychologically knowing that you're not going to be first choice when all the all the superstars come back and then you're in a bad run it's like a self-perpetuating thing of we're just proving we're the second choice here we're not we're not we're not stepping up and the slight pressure that Leicester have on them now of recent seasons to be higher up the table i just wonder whether that's got into the minds of all of the players particularly some of those defenders 
that it's just affecting them. But as you say, Rodgers does have to take a little bit of criticism for not tweaking the system, coming up with a better plan, whether it's a back five, whether it's holding midfielders to shore things up. He has to start taking a bit of criticism now, yeah. Tottenham Hotspur, fifth, 36 points. They do have a couple of games in hand over Manchester United. Let's talk about them next. I've got to say, watching them at times is like pulling teeth. I mean, what a boring side they are at times. But there was a glimpse in their win over Brentford of of what their football could be like the Ralph Rannick way. Um, Their win over Brentford, 3-1 it finished, I think keeps the race for fourth quite interesting as well. Thomas Frank keen to point out after the match, though, that Brentford battered Manchester United, particularly in that first half. United very lucky not to concede two or three goals, in my opinion, thanks to David De Gea and some pretty poor finishing, you've got to say, as well. But after the break, Manchester United, the far better side, all three goals coming from Academy Products. Ian, was it another night where we identified more problems for Manchester United or can they take a lot of positivity from the result? I think overall uh, positivity because because problems were solved by a manager who's still relatively fresh to the job and still relatively, well, still quite rusty to elite football, remember. Um, so, uh, and yeah, I mean, you know, Elanga is surely a positive and, and a tick in the Ralph Rangnick box. Clearly the dominant issue as ever will be Cristiano Ronaldo, but uh, Rangnick seems to have dealt with that quite well in the circumstances. Although I was quite interested in his quote towards Ronaldo that um, in a couple of years when he's a coach, he'll understand this. I think if if he thinks Ronaldo thinks Ronaldo is going to be a coach in a couple of years, not winning the Ballon d'Or in a couple of years, <laughs> he's misjudged. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, there was, there, it, it, it was, you know, to, to give Rangnick some credit, it was problems were solved, weren't they? Problems in the first half were solved and, and you know, a good result against a good side. And, you know, some momentum. Lovely goal from Marcus Rashford. We have to dwell slightly on David De Gea, don't we, for a minute here, because this is a guy who last season was questioned in his position, farcically for me, a guy who had half a good season at Sheffield United was supposedly taking over from him as Manchester United's number one, had that awful end to the season with missing that penalty in the shootout. He's come back and to me he looks like a real leader for Manchester United this season. He was very outspoken when they were so poor towards the end of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's reign. You could see when they conceded that awful goal, which it was an awful goal from that throw-in, Ivan Tony. he was absolutely furious in a classic kind of goalkeeper. I've got a clean sheet coming here. I kept you in it in the first half. And I mean, to me, he looks like a leader for Manchester United to the point where I'd even consider making him captain because I don't think Harry Maguire is a particularly great captain. I think his form is suffering at the minute and I think that would help him to regain some form to take the captaincy away from him not in a big showy way but I think De Gea is such a talisman for United at the minute and I was wondering Ian kind of how how is he viewed in Spain because obviously he lost the number one shirt at the Euros and there was so many years where he was constantly linked with Real Madrid or a return to Spain I mean is he kind of the forgotten man in Spain a little bit yeah I, I, I think that that's 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 probably right, actually, to accept. I think partly because he's been away for so long and he has been at a club that hasn't, you know, had a big impact in the Champions League during the during the time he's been there. Um, and, yeah, I mean, yes, when, when, when he lost his place in the national team to, you know, to a relative novice, Unai Simon, there were, you know, there were raised eyebrows because he is very much a, a senior player and, you know, very, very respected and he's he's done some very good things for Spain. 
but yeah, slightly, slightly off the radar. And it's interesting that you should talk about captaincy and leadership because I think that's probably an aspect of David de Gea that doesn't immediately occur to a lot of Spaniards. You know, they don't they don't imagine him as that uh, demonstrative leading figure. But I'd also ask, you know, how much does does the captaincy really matter? Any answer, Tom? What do you reckon, Hugh? You're a Man United fan. Does it matter? Uh, it matters for Manchester United, yeah, because they have a serious lack of, of uh, leadership and the current captain doesn't seem to provide that. Um, how much does it matter in the wider schemes of, of captaincy? It all depends on the squad. I think we've been through it before. Um, I don't mind inexperienced captains in squads of experienced players but an inexperienced captain in a squad of inexperienced players mm. you know doesn't quite fit so there are different dynamics to it um listen i think de gea has been really good i just don't know what influence he can have from back there generally that being said to see bruno fernandes wear the armband ahead of him and then spend a good two-thirds of his time on the pitch complaining um is something that i do it does great on me as a united fan yeah there's obviously lots of different ways of being a captain, aren't there? And I just mean in terms of setting an example. De Gea has been such a consistent, bar the odd dip in form, such a consistent presence for United mm. in the post-Ferguson era. How many times did he win player of the year in those early years after Ferguson left? And I just think that kind of mentality, the winning mentality that we talk about, watching him go absolutely mental at his team when they were 3-0 up, game one, when they concede a late goal. Yes, it's partly professional pride at being a goalkeeper and wanting a clean sheet but it's also like aspiring to that highest of standards but I, I've obviously watched Manchester United with David De Gea for a long time and I've never seen him as that kind of character but that's what I really. mean I feel like it's coming out of him now and I half I wonder seeing. whether post you know penalty shootout post that kind of really low moment losing the number one shirt to Spain I kind of I do see a kind of different character coming um, to the fore some of these really those punchy post-match interviews that he had in the Solskjaer era as well, you know, really kind of calling out his teammates. And I think as well, it was quite telling another interview that was really refreshing and brilliant was Anthony Alanga watching him after the game mm. and listening to him. He doesn't have a Swedish accent. No, absolutely <laughs> superb. Absolutely. He sounds more mank than I do. And I grew up in Salford. He only moved to Manchester in 2014. I couldn't believe it. Um, it was superb. But he said, you know, oh, we love David. He's a lifesaver. He keeps us in the game all the time. So I just, I just throwing it out there as that kind of figurehead for a team that is maybe going through some change he's he's going to be number one isn't he for the next few seasons unless he decides to yeah, leave yeah. and as Ian says by all accounts you know the Spain return is probably gone I don't know just the, th- just the thought I can't say anything about the captaincy at Manchester United because I was saying it's got to be Cristiano Ronaldo after well, that that interview he's given stroppy Cristiano oh it has yeah. to be and okay. he, I mean to point the finger at the younger players these days showing his age a little bit you know talking like the elder statesman or well that's even wrong you know just talking like a grumpy old man last week mm. about how the younger players behave and uh, and this week he's thrown a strop after being substituted 2-0 up with about 14 minutes left on the clock what on earth is he doing? I, I thought it helped to bring an end to this notion that uh, Ronaldo is all about sort of the club and the, the leadership that he brings. And it's all about Cristiano Ronaldo. It's all about his records. There's that fantastic Instagram post where um, I can't remember the wording for it, but it was, a, it was coming to the end of the year and... Um, 
an, another excellent year, including however many goals yeah, in all competitions. Goals for me in yes. all competitions. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is this is this is Cristiano Ronaldo's world, and we're just living in it. Um, I, the the thing is as well is. Uh, I, he sat there and it was he he knows where the cameras are he knew they would be on him and he sat there and just was in Ralph Ranick's ear and it it really it made me laugh afterwards the what Ranick said about um you know you're 30 he basically explained to him you're 36 years old and you're going to um you need basically need to protect you and it reminded me of you know catching the the tube catching the underground and offering someone a seat and they glare at you because they're not (laughs) they're not old enough to to require a seat (laughs) and and, you know you get i I, you understand it thomas tuchel does the same at chelsea with he called tiago silva benjamin button this idea of going (laughs) going backwards but ronaldo will take umbrage with it we saw that he does not want to come off but it's Cristiano Ronaldo FC. Ian, is a Cristiano Ronaldo strop a positive or a negative for for a team? Um, I think routine is probably the word we're looking for, isn't it? Um, you know, he, he he's done this so often before at other clubs. I mean, this was, I guess, a, a high-profile one because, as Tom said, you know, he knew where the cameras would be. And also, I, you know, for for I, I think this is more defining in a way for Rangnick because things worked out quite well, didn't they, for for the manager that there was that Ronaldo had a few minutes of in-camera sulking and then there was a goal and at that point uh, the manager you know talks to him now i think possibly without the goal the manager talking to him could have been seen as some sort of acquiescence in the sulk but this but this looked quite good for for, for Rangnick didn't it that he went there he he paid attention to an important professional um, Ronaldo did seem to be listening as Rangnick was in his ear and you know the the proof was in the pudding because Manchester United didn't fall apart without Ronaldo on the pitch and 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 the manager was fairly dignified and fairly accurate apart from as I say that remark about Ronaldo being a head coach in two years a couple of years or whatever he said so I think I think it's more defining in a way for for the interim manager. Ian's right it's a definite win for Rangnick because to talk about it after the game in such clarity and we should, as journalists, editors, reporters, you guys all go to press conferences. God bless Ralph Ranick, eh? For all the stuff he mm. comes out with. My God, if he doesn't stay on at Manchester United, I'm getting him on the game podcast. He's, <laughs> that guy is absolutely gold. Stuff about Pogba. Oh, well, he's trying to leave at the end of the season. Martial, <laughs> Ronaldo. It's absolutely great value. Keep it coming, Ralph. But Ian's right. It's a massive win for him because, you know, that visual spectacle that Ian's described is such a massive thing when, you, when you're in charge of Manchester United. And... It is also consistent, isn't it? It's consistent with how he's dealt with all these big players. And when you have the contrast of three academy players scoring, Marcus Rashford scoring again, Elanga scoring his first goal and talking so enthusiastically about it after the game, that's a really powerful, powerful thing for the new Manchester United manager. It's a really good point, Tom, and something I I was just thinking about. The way Rannick talks about players, the way he talks about the situation at Man United... And I wondered whether, do we think that he would talk in the same way had he been appointed Manchester United's new manager on a three-year contract, four-year contract? I do think he would. Yeah, Yeah. I do think he would because of the uh, element of the philosophical view of football from Germany. Um, It's a football club and um, these guys just play a sport. 
and uh, I'm not sitting in 10 Downing Street and uh, I'm not making, you know, decisions that affect people's lives in a sort of, you know, could be catastrophic way. It's just football. Yeah, he doesn't want to be here anymore. You know, <laughs> life's going to go on without him. You know, he's very much got that sort of view of like, well, there's no reason to keep it a secret because when he holds up a Real Madrid or PSG shirt, you're going to know about it anyway. You know, it's it's one of those things. And I think it, it also feeds into that element of, I'm here to assess the situation and, and I might as well be open about what the situation is. You all know we're in trouble. You know, we're, we're not the Manchester United of old and, and here's why. Well, in that case, I can't wait for Nagelsmann and Joachim Love <laughs> to come over. But it must be refreshing, Hugh, surely, as a Manchester United fan, having had the kind of grumpy Mourinho era, the Van Gaal era, which got that way, then the kind of happy, clappy Solskjaer, we're the best club we need to aspire to the treble winning eras. You know, someone who's just straight talking, calling people out, calling the Pogba situation. That's the thing, that He doesn't call people out. He just says, you know, even the Martial situation, he didn't call him out. No, but that's he what just, I mean. He it, just explained it. It's not an aggressive. It, 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 no, that, yeah, yeah, you're right. He, he didn't want to be here and we, we wanted him in the squad. He didn't want to be yeah, here. But you know, it's just a fact. It's not a Tuchel latest at, at Chelsea. It's known it's not a Mourinho, but it's just so refreshing. I mean, I love him. I absolutely love him. I hope he stays for ages. I mean, I, I would love the football to be nicer, so uh, nah. I'm not going to say I hope he the stays chat's forever. Great. But, uh, chat's great. The chat's key. <laughs> That's what matters. Exactly, exactly. Loads of more chat coming on the game podcast, by the way. If you're enjoying it, uh, make sure you rate us, uh, leave us a review, make sure you're subscribed as well. We're going to be talking to Fabrice Moamba a little bit later on. We will talk Brighton too. Um, special performances from them. Not enough wins, but we'll come to Graham Potter uh, in a few moments' time. Loads more still to come on the game. The Premier League is preparing to change its rules on postponements after a series of pretty controversial decisions to call off games. Uh, The Premier League's board reviewing the rules which were brought in to handle the effects of the COVID pandemic. If agreed by top fight clubs, that's a pretty big if. At a meeting next week, the changes could come into effect at next month before the round of games that start on February the 8th. Now, league rules currently state teams must play if they have 13 outfield players and one goalkeeper available. 22 games in the Premier League have already been postponed. I think four is the highest number in any of the other big five European leagues. Let's speak to Martin Ziegler of The Times about this story. You've reported on it, Martin. What is prompting this? Because I think we all say that the the, the clubs are abusing the system in requesting games be off. Um, But the Premier League is the body that permits those postponements. So it's on them, really. I think it's uh, what's brought this to a head is is that the rules have been a bit too vague. So they were brought in to deal with the the COVID pandemic. But what it's now being used for is for clubs who are struggling with injuries, suspensions, international absences to effectively um, give themselves a break and uh, and ha- have a match postponed, even if, as in Arsenal's case, for example, they only had one confirmed COVID case. Um, now, it, before the pandemic, that wouldn't have been allowed. You can apply for a postponement to the board, but it has never, ever been given before in, in the history of the Premier League. Um, so I think under other circumstances, it, you would just have had to get on with it and play and get your junior players up or, or whatever. So that's why people think that, that um, some clubs have been gaming the rules, not just Arsenal. Um, there's been suspicions around others. Um, lots of things, around, um, noise around when Liverpool requested a postponement. Um, so 
I think there's genuinely a feeling that um, things have gone too far. Ian, uh, quickly on this, how's it worked across Europe in other leagues in terms of postponements? Have we seen uh, any country uh, with so many? Well, uh, far fewer postponements. Um, I mean, Italy, there have been um, postponements in Syria. Um, although actually the, the, the rationale for those is more is more to do with travel and local health authorities not wanting uh, teams to come, you know, to, to come into their jurisdiction, as it were. Broadly, and it does, you know, there are detailed differences from country to country. Broadly, that you know, the, the, the rule of 13 available is fairly widespread. There's another factor, I think, in, in that a lot of the major leagues in Europe have, a, have some sort of mid-season break, shorter than it used to be in a lot of cases. But that sort of coincided with more or less the peak of Omicron. So, you know, that was a sort of built-in buffer, as it were. I mean, you know, there is there, there has been one farcical case, which was you know widely reported, which was a Lisbon derby between Belenenses and and Benfica, when it had to be abandoned because uh, Belenenses only had seven players um, on the pitch, having started with nine, I think, mm. because they had they had so few available. Now, now clearly, that was a match which shouldn't have taken place, but but you know, it, at that particular time, I think it was in in December. There was a very rigid matches must take place, and if you you know, and if you can get nine players on the pitch, you go ahead. There's been some reform of that in Portugal, needless to say. I'm all for a bit of chaos, though. I would I would like to see a little one-off, eleven against seven in the Premier League, just for bants. Martin, in terms of the proposed change now, some managers, and I imagine some clubs are unhappy about this now coming in mid-season. Is it is it right? Do you think it's right to change this rule now? There's no certainly no easy um, answer now, but to, to, because of what's happened, so either you change the rules in mid-season or you continue with the wrong rules. So I, I think I think you, you have to change them. I mean, I, one option which I I do think is um, sensible is is saying that you have to, in order to get a postponement, you have to have a minimum number of COVID-related absentees. So, for example, at least five players have to be absent due to COVID in order to get a postponement because otherwise it just becomes a bit ludicrous. Oh, I'm almost half expecting Tottenham to appeal for Lasagna Gate back in 2007 <laughs> back when they'll come to be At able to get, get some them. compensation. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Do, Martin, does this kind of tell us a little bit, because you see the other leagues and um, Bayern played the other day with nine COVID cases and, and lost the game. I know there's less jeopardy there, but does this tell us a little bit about the relationship between Premier League clubs and the Premier League? Well, I think it shows that the, the Premier League are sort of are controlled by the clubs, basically. So, you know, what the clubs want, the Premier League has to do and and or has to try and interpret and it, sometimes those interpretations go wrong and then everybody gets uh, gets furious and which is basically what's happened here Europe have got a much much more sensible approach to this and it, it's got to be sort of fairly dramatic for, for it to be allowed I mean the, I think the only if you if you think about Clubs in the past wanting to have matches postponed. Like there's the famous case of Middlesbrough who who cancelled a match unilaterally and uh, got a points deduction for doing so because they said they couldn't field a team, and that eventually contributed them to getting relegated. I just want to ask on the record, just for posterity, in case this story goes on and on, the two Toms, right to change this rule mid-season? Yeah, something had to be done. I think I agree. It, it's always going to be difficult, but we were heading down a farcical route where 
we were just going to get more and more. You know, previously I've just praised Ralph Ranić for being in press conferences and giving us great insight. I didn't want any more press conferences with managers moaning about this. So let's get a get a clear rule, <laughs> get it changed. Tom, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Sunday was Sunday was the the key for it, wasn't it? North London derby. Um, Martin, just more broadly speaking, I wondered what you thought about the leadership at the Premier League right now because it feels like they are amassing quite a catalogue of mistakes of late. I think they're in a bit of a state of flux. I mean, the, the chairman is, is effectively um, left. I mean, he, he, Gary Hoffman, he's due to he's due to leave at the end of the month, but I think he, he's effectively ceased his sort of official functions um, and he's been forced out by the clubs because they were unhappy about the, the Newcastle United takeover so so he's not there effectively um, they've got an interim chairman starting on, on the, the January the 31st and so it, it does actually feel that this is you know the, the clubs are trying to exercise their power and increasingly since actually since the European Super League um, debacle the sort of mid-sized clubs have been flexing their muscles much more. And I think um, that is leading to the kind of situation now where the, the, the executive who run the Premier League are sort of jumping around trying to please everybody and um, managing to please none. Martin Ziegler, Chief Sports Reporter for The Times. Thank you for joining us on The Game podcast. Um, we'll talk a little bit later on about European football, Barcelona, Real Madrid, Atletico. We'll also be talking before the end of the podcast about Brighton. Stay with us. Acast anbefaler. Mit navn er Anders Morgenthaler. Over for mig sidder Roald Bergmann. Vi har lavet en ny podcast, der hedder Dopaminklubben. Og Dopaminklubben er en klub, hvor ADHD er fucking sjovt, og hvor det griner. Det behøver ikke at være super alvorligt. Vi skider træt af alle de der podcasts og forklarer meget nederen der. Vi gør grin med vores ADHD. Mulig ADHD. Ja, vi udreder mig, fordi nogen siger, at jeg har det. Jeg ved det ikke rigtigt, det finder vi ud af. Vi har i hvert fald lavet vedmål. Ind og lyt til Dopaminklubben. Hver uge udkommer vi. Der laver vi sjov spas med at have den her vidunderlige dopaminmangel. Am I right? Well, no, of course I am not. <laughs> Let's talk about Graham Potter because he's been linked to loads of big jobs over the last couple of years. His team seems to play fantastic football. He gets another result against one of the Premier League's big teams, if you like. Um, you know, he's been linked with jobs and he, he, he's right in saying that at Brighton, it's a very settled club. He's got a very settled team. God, he needs a goal scorer. I mean... It, that's one thing that they should have given him during the summer that if he had now they're having a great season but it could be even better for sure for sure absolutely I mean even you know the, the game the other night was a case study in it where if Danny Welbeck takes his chances then they easily win that game easily 
that's been that's been the story of they're, they're not they're not the team who nick points are they they're the team who miss out on on points uh graham potter spoke after the game about how the football gods weren't looking down on them this day but it seems to be a similar theme throughout and you know i was talking before about the way leicester and tottenham play with a little bit of chaos and but and brighton don't to an extent uh, they 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 do have quite a few late late goals, um, but they they tend to be quite consistent, don't they? You mm. never you know what you're going to get with Brighton now, and the progress is 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 still remarkable. I, I totally agree. It's too many draws, but it's on the right. You're on the right scale, aren't you? You're on the right end of the scale. They're not. They're 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 so close to the wins rather than defeats. Um, and as a club, you know, putting Tuesday night's game into context, as a club as well, it was little over ten years ago they were in the third tier, playing against a team who were uh, who were champions of Europe twice um, since since Brighton were in the third tier, and you can see why Graham Potter isn't keen to leave there. Being linked with Everton this week, it was it was. It's funny listening to him before the game say that I haven't got a sex with a name like Potty. It's not a sexy name, and <laughs> he's this. He's he's similar to Gareth Southgate in the way that there's this humorous, humble self-deprecation in the way he in the way he talks. But he's he he should be attractive to any club in the Premier League. And I, when I saw him linked to Everton and you saw you you watched how it unfolded how it unraveled with Rafa Benitez there and the infighting that happens at that club that's been happening at that club I, I wouldn't go near that if I was Graham Potter uh, he does need to change Brighton though from a you know a happy plucky team you know aren't we doing well from where we started to one that, that that is a little bit more ruthless in terms of disappointment or missing out on the on these results. Maybe not against Chelsea, but some of the games they've played. You know, they they as a club they should almost be. It's hard to say angrier about dropping those points, but you know they need to set that standard. They've set the standard in terms of football. They need to set that standard in terms of results to go with it. I think you're right, but you you talk about angry. I was speaking to a Brighton fan yesterday and. As much as your delivery, he was a bit Amjam Panto style about Potter out. There were some fans last season mm. and times during his reign at Brighton who've who've not been that impressed. And I think when you think about that, and when you think about what you've just said about wanting to improve and become more ruthless, and some of the things that Tom said about wanting to, you know, really make solidify his status, if you like, as a manager, he's in the absolute perfect place. Because I think he deserves credit because he is changing it all the time. But he's he's still feeling it out as a manager in the Premier League. And you can see that because he quite often changes system, both either mid-game or from game to game. Sometimes they line up with a back three. Sometimes it's a back four. Sometimes it's two holding midfielders. Sometimes it's a diamond. You know, it's it's like he, he's, he's working it out the whole time. And he's got the perfect team and squad for that, really. He's got a flexible team with lots of players who can play in different roles, full-backs, wing-backs. He's in the perfect place and he's still got a lot to learn, but he deserves credit for adapting and learning all the time. The key is going to come, as you said, in getting a bit more consistency because you look at their fixtures. Yes, they, they, they pop into the limelight when they 
when they um, take points off big teams like Chelsea. But they've got chaotic Leicester, then they've got a cup game, then they've got Watford, uh, Burnley, Villa and Newcastle. So that's when we'll see what this Brighton team are really about. We, we've just criticised uh, Brendan Rodgers and Leicester for their defensive work and t- spoken about them having excuses over the year, over the, this season with Fafana's injury, um, Johnny Evans's injury. What wasn't really focused on with Brighton is the fact they were missing Lewis Dunk and Shane Duffy and yet you wouldn't have known that you wouldn't know that at the moment um, I mean Adam Webster came away from that game with everyone talking about whether he could be an England player mm-hmm. da- Dan Burr I mean Romelu Lukaku is, is a different story at the moment but Dan Burn absolutely dominated him um, Graham Potter you, you, we, you spoke about the psychology of Leicester's players um, Tom about being the second you know we're the second uh, reserves and that is definitely not the case at Brighton they were prepared to play like um, like a top four to fit team really and also this is the team that lost Ben White of course mm. in the summer so you again that further supports Tom's point about some of these players stepping up and about Potter adapting and thinking you know Tom talked about some of those players there they sometimes play a back three if they've got the likes of Dunk around you know he plays that kind of Connor Cody role in mm. the middle of a back three they didn't have him so they adapted and I think he deserves credit for that but he is still he's still learning and adapting himself Ian how are the performances of Brighton received where you are no because look Spanish football technical coaches technical teams that's that's the way things are you know what's his reputation like is it growing uh, it would be from a small seed um, <laughs> <laughs> right he hasn't yet transcended is what you're saying you know it, 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 uh, yeah it, uh, I think um, doesn't make very head Although, you know, great an interest in, in the goalkeeper, Rob Sanchez, who sort of has come from nowhere and, you know, made the national team. So, you know, that's that would be that would be from this the particular lens of 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 mainstream Spain, um uh, where 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 Potter might get some recognition. And and you know, that, that that Rob Sanchez is a is a story of which there are many repeated in the Potter regime, aren't there? You know, that 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 he really does develop players and they're a club who who spot players and they are increasingly a club where players at a certain level want to go and play which is a start i guess the next thing is is you know when the tried and tested center forward decides this is a club where i want to go and play and and fit into their wage structure etc ian speaking of developing players and exciting players kukurea on the left has been one of the standout performers for me this season obviously came from spain i think he's got a cap for the national team as well started at Barcelona but then moved his way around the league is he someone that you could see going beyond Brighton dare I say it uh, yeah possibly I mean he's, he's quite an interesting player because yeah he's got that 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 Barcelona background but then he you know he came to fame in in a really really tough and some people would say dirty Getafe team um, <laughs> uh, yeah I mean and, and you know he's pretty combative yeah I mean I, I wouldn't say he's immediately on the the radar of Luis Enrique, the national coach at the moment. But it, it's been a good move for him, for sure. We're going to talk a little bit more about football in Spain and, and, and in particular the big three clubs and what they might be doing in terms of transfers very soon with Ian a little bit later on. Up next, though, we're going to talk about Christian Eriksen with Fabrice Mwamba. He, of course, could be making a return to a football pitch near you in the Premier League. That's next on The Game. 
Brentford have spoken to Christian Eriksen about the possibility of signing the Denmark midfielder. Now, Eriksen had his his contract cancelled by Inter Milan last month after being told he couldn't play in Serie A, having been fitted with an implanted cardioverter defibrillator. That's an ICD. It's a type of pacemaker. Um, he, of course, collapsed during Euro 2020 in those horrific scenes in Copenhagen. Um, there isn't a regulation that exists in the Premier League that would stop Ericsson playing with an ICD. And it's also understood a number of clubs are keen to sign him. Let's speak to Fabrice Mwamba, the former Bolton and Arsenal midfielder who collapsed on the pitch during Bolton's trip to Spurs back in March of 2012 and was unfortunately unable to resume his career. Hi Fabrice, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you doing? I'm good, I'm good. This story must bring back a lot of memories for you and um, it's something that you've you've experienced yourself let me take you back to to christian erickson's collapse this summer what were your emotions when you saw that you know watching it it's almost like yo it's bringing brought back so much memory of of things that's happened in the past and feeling that you haven't really you know touched in a long time and that what happened but for me i was just hoping that he will come out the other end safe and sound which was the pleasing side of it is that, you know, by the time he left the stadium was awake. Um, but I, I'm just happy that he's made a, a very, very good recovery to where he is right now. It's strange to think that he's going to be able to resume his career. We'll come to that in a moment. But you had something similar fitted in, into your body. Tell us about the procedure that you went through and how it affected your body. Well, an ICD, it, it's literally a straightforward procedure because you, you've got to have to get it done anyway at some point so and for me the way i was put into it is like you have to have it done so this will help you to go forward in, in regarding to activity if you ever find yourself in a situation where you know your heart's going to be funny this will be able to trigger it which is in the beginning i was so against it but when they put it out there to me then you look at a bigger picture so it wasn't about me anymore it's about my family mom and dad my wife my children so I was like, okay, let's go for it. And to be honest with you, here is the best decision I ever made in my life. What what does it do exactly? So you obviously at the top of it, you've got the the, the two thing which is connected into the, the mechanism inside here, and the two wires connected to your artery, and it will give you a shock if you go into that moment. Put it that way. So instead of the doctors, the ambulance coming in, that will literally give you a shock. So there's something implanted into your body yeah. with two yes. wires connected to the artery in your heart, yeah. which yeah. essentially shocks you if things shocks you go the wrong way, whatever it might be, a, a heart attack yeah. or your, your heart yeah. slows too much. Yeah. Has that happened to you before? Have you been shocked by it? Yeah, I've, I've been shocked by it, yeah. What was that feeling yeah. like? It's like somebody punching you without knowing that someone's going to punch you. Really? Did it so knock you, somebody is, is, comes it, is it enough to knock you off your feet? What's the sensation like? Oh, it, um, it's like a powerful electric shock. Wow, to the heart. No pain. Does that? I mean, it must cause pain. It, it doesn't cause pain. No? It just you feel a bit. You, you you feel a bit out of it for for. You just feel a bit woozy for a bit. Then you go back to normal again. Wow. It it's scary that knowing that I've got it and he's he's got it and he's gonna play in the football pitch. I'm like, wow, now, this is uh, incredible. I went with you to a charity event. Um, this is probably, what, a year after your incident, maybe 
two years yeah. after and you were running around playing football with the kids and I, I don't think I've ever been as worried in my entire life um, you know you looked like you could still play Premier League football at that time fit healthy strong running around from the outside you would have no idea that you had a, a pacemaker fitted in that regard maybe it doesn't surprise me as much that Christian Eriksen might be able to resume his career but when we think about those images in the summer I think it does raise a few eyebrows how confident are you that Christian Eriksen can still be the player that he was. Listen, everybody's case is different. Everybody's medical history is completely different. You know, my history looked like, because I was down for longer than he was down. He made a quicker recovery than I did. So I can understand the the emotion and the passion wanting to come back and play football. I can, I completely understand that part. But you also, in any medical staff, anybody in the medical world will tell you, what, what, what if happened? That's the question. What if happened? That if that anything could happen, and I don't think many people will be able to forgive themselves. You know, if this is not about one individual anymore. This is about the club who want to sign individual, the people who actually signing him to do the medical stuff. You know, it, and and it's a very serious conversation because as much as you know. There's a reason why in Italy they don't want him to play anymore. Do you think, Fabrice, that we should have that rule here in England? Do you think players that have a, a pacemaker fitted shouldn't be allowed to play? I think you're putting a lot of people in, 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 in danger of you playing football. You've got to remember, the game is intense. Very intense, you know. And the way the, you know is intense is very physical. Because when you have your pacemaker, you're not going to have it underneath your rib. You have it right here, right up your chest where the, everybody use the elbow, everybody use the hand in the game of football. So it's just underneath but, your skin, is it? Yeah, it's underneath you. It's just a big of a risk. I, 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 I don't know how people come to this conclusion because to me, I'm thinking from the outside, I'm like, how this is still a conversation. But as I said, his recovery and my recovery are completely different. And um, his medical history and my medical history is completely different. So... And I, I just hope he find happiness and I hope he find peace, whatever he decides to do going forward. You're not worried that we might see a, a, another collapse, I guess, on, on the Premier League pitch? <laughs> I'm, con- I'm concerned. I'm concerned. But I'm very, I'm reserving my word because I, I don't want to yeah. be like the bad, the, the, the bad cup. You know what I mean? I, so, I, know, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. It's a, it's like, a very, you, it's you're a, watching it from, it's a very great area. You're watching it from the outside. You're thinking, Who's actually pushing this narrative right now? Who's actually behind it? Oh, like he has a young family. What if it happened? No, I know what you mean. It's uh, a very, it's a very delicate thing. The pacemaker, very, the very, wires, very. the wires are in the arm. It's, yeah, it's yeah. not far beneath the skin, and if it's disturbed in a in a major way, that could be a catastrophic issue. And yeah. a lot of people won't be forgive themselves. If that happened, it's a stark warning for Brees. Um, and I know, and, <laughs> no, uh, it, no, but it, but it is, not, you know, there are so many people that can't wait to see this, you know, fairy tale ending for Christian Eriksen. He comes back to a football pitch. He maybe does special things, goes to a World Cup with Denmark. You know, that is the, the dream scenario and that he's 100% fine. But for those people that haven't been through it, that's a that seems like a, a perfectly possible thing. But those who have, like you, you yourself, clearly there, there are more concerns. Yeah, because you, you, you've got to understand, you know, uh, as much as it looks and it sounds great, it sounds promising, there's no, why would you want to risk it for, you know? There's no point in killing yourself to get back and play the game. Just 
walk away from it. There's no point. Seriously, you have a young family, you have a wife and children, you have your mom and dad. I, listen, the World Cup in Qatar, in Qatar, in that heat again, as I said, there's a lot of things to consider here. And you've got to be very, very mindful. Even people who are entertaining this idea of get him getting back play. As I said earlier, I don't want to sound like I'm the bad cop, but it, it, um, I wouldn't feel comfortable watching him play. Put it that way. Uh, Fabrice Moamba, thank you so much for joining us on the Game Podcast. Now, as we've got Ian Hawkey with us, let's find out how things are going out in Spain with some big clubs making moves that we didn't quite expect. Barcelona are back, according to their president. They've bought Ferran Torres for over £50 million. Uh, Andreas Christiansen could come on a free transfer in the summer. Ian, tell us about Barcelona right now. Is Laporta right? Are they back? They're back in the transfer market, which I think is what he meant. Um, and, you know, the signing of Ferran Torres did raise some eyebrows because they don't have a lot of liquidity and they have a real problem with the the what's called the wage cap in Spain, which is how much you can spend both on transfers and salaries, which is quite rigid. Anyway, they, they you know, they, they, they accessed the money uh, via loans to buy Ferran Torres, which which looks like a good deal. And it looks like a good deal for the player because he was back in a long queue at Manchester City. Um, he's young. He's he's a regular in the national team, um, and you know he, he's the kind of player that will fit in in a lot of positions. So that's that's a significant statement uh, signing, which involved all sorts of compromises in bringing down the salary mass, as it's called. You know the the, the expenditure of a club, but of course money is coming in again now. You know the, the the stadium is open. It's a massive stadium, so in that sense they are back from this terrible position of burdensome debts and income streams drying up because of COVID, etc. So, but are they back as a force? No, because they're, you know, they're, they're going to really struggle to reach the top four of La Liga, get into the Champions League again. Um, and, you know, they, 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 they have real personnel problems. Um, today, there's, there's the latest in, in a long running saga over Usman Dembele, who is one of the most expensive ever signings and hasn't been at all consistent and hasn't actually played probably more than 50% of the game since he's been there. He's holding out for a new contract. Um, the, the negotiations are breaking down, so he could leave in this transfer window. Now, that's a €100 million Euros plus signing who is going to go for possibly next to nothing and and it and it's it's very competitive now that you know the parties have fallen out badly and who knows if they will they will find a buyer to pay anything at all for him in january or whether he'll just walk out in june having having gnashed his teeth for for six months uh so that's 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 the current saga preoccupying at the same time you know you have laporta who's you know, full of rhetorical flourishes saying that Erling Haaland might come in the summer, which sounds very far-fetched, but uh, you dream big. Exactly. Um, it's a bit of a weird one. You've got to tell us now how these two clubs are shaping up, Barcelona and Real Madrid, because um, you mentioned Erling Haaland and both clubs have been mentioning him as a pr- prospective signing. Kylian Mbappe, we imagine, we hope, well, I, I guess we hope, will go to Real Madrid and be good to see him in a, a different league. But there are other big name players being linked with, with both of these clubs. What's the, the situation? Do you think these transfers are going to come off? Mbappe to Real Madrid um, it does, 
everything is in place for that to happen, except obviously a signature and and a public utterance from Mbappe. PSG still believe that they can persuade him to stay. He's obviously absolutely hugely valued by PSG. Both these players, who I guess would be the you know the young players who who will be most coveted in the next in the summer transfer window do seem to want to go and play in Spain now who wants to go and play for Barcelona in the Europa League that's you know that's a, that's another question um and so so Barcelona first of all got to get into the top 4 and then find the money to make a big signing so i think Holland Barcelona is quite far fetched Holland and Mbappe at Real Madrid it's you know it's a sexy idea but I think there's the, the, the Holland has many many options and will be weighing them all up for some time. Uh, there was a, a story this week. What did you make of it? That Karim Benzema would be unhappy if Erling Holland went to Real Madrid and he'd want to leave. I, I think they're probably putting two and two together and coming up with, you know, with a not the most obvious solution. Benzema is hugely important to Madrid, and Benzema knows that. Clearly, if if if, he's, if he, he was going to lose his place in the side, then yes, he might think again. But I'd, also, I don't, you know, I don't think he's he's quite as powerful that he could say, "I'm not, I'm not accepting this signing." Nor, nor would it be particularly in character. Uh, yeah, no, I, 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 Benzema knows he is in a, in a good place, and Real Madrid knows know how important Benzema is to them. So I think that's slightly far fetched at this stage. When it comes to Atletico Madrid, Ian uh, Luis Suarez has been linked. The latest ex-Liverpool player who could uh, join up with his old mate Steven Gerrard at Aston Villa. Is there m- much of that in the uh, the papers over there? Uh, there's there's a lot about Suarez's unhappiness, which is you know which is a, a real thing. He's not in the team as much as he was when he you know when he fired them to the title last season. Um, there's been a very public shot across the bows towards Simeone when he was substituted a few weeks ago. So I think I, I think the, the idea of Suarez being available, and of course he's out of contract in the summer, um, is is entirely plausible. And I think you probably say that that Aston Villa might be a good fit for him. I don't think Suarez is 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 quite what he used to be. Um, you know, I think he's a little bit more sluggish around the pitch. He's obviously a wonderful finisher, and you know, hugely competitive and. Would be an asset to uh, a team trying to, you know, climb up. And you know, clearly there's a relationship with Steven Gerrard. So, I, yeah, I mean, you can see why a lot of that would would make sense. Um, but I, th- I think we're probably looking at 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 the way down for Luis Suarez. Ian, speaking about unhappiness at Atletico, they're they're fourth. They're a long way behind. Madrid. There's been some poor results lately. They've got Manchester United in the Champions League to come. Simeone has always, I feel, held a slight fascination for the English football fan. You know, how is their season going? Does it feel like a slight season of transition, to use that common terminology, or 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 are they doing okay? Are they happy? Will he continue continue there? Uh, I, I, I think I think a slight trans- transition would be would be very polite way of putting it. They lost in the cup last night, and it's yeah, it it, it it's it, it's not a happy place, and all sorts of. Unsimeone things are happening. You know, they're 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 having longer losing runs than they've ever had. And of course, he has been there now. He's just passed his tenth anniversary, which is an astonishingly mm. long time for any manager. They are in bad shape defensively. 
they're rather chaotic, which again is a, a very unsimeone thing to to say. And yeah, I mean, I, I, I would if you're look if you're Ralph Rangnick now, you're you're looking at Atletico thinking, yes, this 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 was a good draw for us in the Champions League. And having been knocked out of the the cup last night, it's it's going to be a, a trophyless season. So a year after winning the league, that's you know that's quite a descent. Will there be um, will there be any kind of schism there? Because I mean, you mentioned Ralph Rennick, who's got to choose a new manager for Manchester United. You know, a, a team that's intense. Um, certainly, Simeone brings that. If that's the future of of United, um, c- could could we see him leave the club? Um, I, I I just like you. Just can you take that further, Hugh, and say on air for recording? I'd like Simeone to come in <laughs> to Manchester United. Yeah. Well, I think, I think that might- I, 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 I wouldn't put it that far, but I wouldn't be disappointed. But, you know, he's still got that huge reputation. And I think, you know, at times you just need to freshen things up. He might need a new environment that the club, the players might need a new leader. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, 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 this is, it, it, we, you know, I think we are in, in, in very unfamiliar territory here. Um, I think Simeone decides when he leaves Atletico. He is so powerful. He is so integrated into what that club has become, you know, he has so defined what's been an extraordinary rise really over the last 10 years. Um, And it's very, very hard to imagine him anywhere else. Partly also because his sort of brand of Atletico has been so distinctive and in many ways so unfashionable. You know, this is the, the grittiness, the the not valuing of possession. Now that that's that's changed over the years, and and the change has sometimes been a little bit difficult. But yeah, it it uh, it, it will be an extraordinary schism, and, and it's very hard to get your head round what what Simeone at another club, who you know where he couldn't impose his authority so powerfully w- would look like. But you know, at, at some point. Um, he needs to know if Diego Simeone can can do as good a job elsewhere. And at some point, Atletico Madrid needs to explore what life would be like without Diego Simeone. But, you know, we really are going back into sort of sepia images to remember what Atletico <laughs> were like without him. It's um, one of the great stories of this year, how the, how the two parties go apart and where they go next. Ian Hawkey, it's been a pleasure uh, to be with you on the Game Podcast. Tom Roddy, Tom Clark as well. Thank you very much. And thank you to all of you for listening. Remember, if you sign up today to The Times online, then you can get yourself one month free. Check it out. It's thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game. You'll get The Times and The Sunday Times as well. Uh, We'll be back with you on Monday. We'll see you then. But thanks again for listening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. ACAST and Befeller. 
Mit navn er Anders Morgenthaler. Over for mig sidder Roald Bergmann. Vi har lavet en ny podcast, der hedder Dopaminklubben. Og Dopaminklubben er en klub, hvor ADHD er fucking sjovt, og hvor det griner. Det behøver ikke at være super alvorligt. Vi skider skidt af alle de der podcast og forklarer mig nederen der. Vi gør grin med vores ADHD. Mulig ADHD. Ja, vi udreder mig, fordi nogen siger, at jeg har det. Jeg ved det ikke rigtigt, det finder vi ud af. Vi har i hvert fald lavet vedmål. Ind og lyt til Dopaminklubben. Hver uge udkommer vi. Der laver vi sjov og spas med at have den her vidunderlige dopaminmangel.